Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join Pastor Bernie Diaz for the message. I have relished the idea of moving out of the year 2021, right? Last two years, in fact, right, haven't we? Um... If the political election season of 2020 wasn't bad enough with all the social unrest, the violence, economic issues that accompanied that in our country, the COVID pandemic was the topper of all that, still dealing with that, as you can see, looking around the room, that's compounded matters that much more. Tens of thousands of Americans have died, really, as a result, and many more have become sick and hospitalized, out of work. And I'll tell you, it's been harder, I have to admit, to live today with a positive attitude. We're really challenged that way, to live with a positive attitude. I think more than any other time since I've been around, I've been around more than most of you all, and uh, this harkens back to me to like the 60s a little bit. It feels like the 70s a little bit. It's a down time, you can argue. And that's something for us Christians to really think about Because all that's going around us, in our nation, around the world, has been sovereignly ordained by God to happen, whether actively or permissively, right? We were meant to be born, to live, and to die in a time such as this, a time that is filled with evil, pain, and suffering. And that's nothing new over world history, okay? It's just new for our generation because I think we've taken God's common grace for granted. You know, things have been so good for so long, this has been a big splash of water and a very cold one, right? So this is a good time to talk about what we're talking about today. It's time. It's New Year's time. Not just to make the New Year's resolutions that you tend to think of, you know, self-improvement, which are fine, you know health or diet, job, skills, hobbies. But we want to look today for what God would have us to do with our time he's given us in the times that we're in. So the context here, this passage of Scripture that you heard read is a text from the Lord that I'm going to share. It's going to help us focus on redeeming, buying back the times that we're in. Really focusing on one thing in particular, the Lord just kind of laid on my heart to encourage you and exhort you with in our time, and that is prayer. Prayer. So what happened is the apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, he wrote to the church at Ephesus on his third missionary journey. He planted the church. He turned it over to young Timothy to be the pastor of it. And in this letter to the Ephesians, he's instructing them, the church body, in a very difficult pagan environment, somewhat like our own, on what their fruit should look like. The fruit of their faith should look like after he's already taught them the roots of their faith. In other words, their identity, what it means to be in Christ and how they got to be there. And now he's going to encourage us to live out that faith. So what I want to share with you, just a super practical passage of Scripture, and where we find a command from the Lord and then a purpose behind it, the purpose for it. Let's look at what it means to redeem your time in verses 15 and 16 again, where it says in Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Watch how you walk. What walk is is just a biblical metaphor for life, how you live. How you walk is how you live. He's saying, be careful. Old English word is a good word for this. Be circumspect. Be careful. And what this is, this is not a suggestion. You don't get too many suggestions from God. All right? This is a biblical imperative. This is a command, and it's in the present tense. So it's keep watching how you walk. It's how you would say it in Greek. Keep on watching how you walk. Now, that means wise walkers. You can enjoy life, okay? But also walk carefully while you're living. Be discerning. We need a wise walk. And the emphasis from the King James, for example, is redeem the time. That's how it's translated there in English. When you redeem something, you know, like you have a coupon and you redeem it, you're buying something back for yourself to use, right? So the idea is making wise the sacred use of every opportunity God gives you for doing good. Now, why? Why is that? There's two big reasons we're going to find in the Bible, and the second one is very specific to this text. The first one is this. If you're taking note, time is a precious commodity. So redeeming, buying back is really good verbiage. King James, good translation there. Time is precious commodity. It's all over the Bible, Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Count your days. How long have you been around? What have you been doing? Paul told his readers from the Roman church, he put it this way, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. So it's a call to wake up. Get ready. Get busy. Or Paul in Galatians 6.10. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The household of faith is church. Look for opportunities with your time to serve the church. Psalm 139.16, great psalm from David. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Make good use of the time, because you don't know when your time starts and ends, you know the old traditional tombstones, rest in peace, it has the birth date and the day you die? Well, you don't know that today, what your tombstone dates are. Only God does. God made you. He knew exactly when you would be born, where you would be born. He knows when you're going to die, how you're going to die, and he knows everything about your life, how it's going to go down, everything in between. That's what it means that he has fashioned our days for us. Before there were none of them, meaning from eternity past, before creation, your life was laid out by God. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what day may bring forth. You know, brag about what you're going to do tomorrow. How do you know you got tomorrow? Next week. James 4 echoed that. When he said, life is nothing but a vapor, like a breath you take in cold air. <gasps> here, and it's gone. So don't take tomorrow for granted, people. Jesus pictured that so well. I want you to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, for a moment. This is the parable of the rich fool. I'm just going to touch on it. Most of the chapter, by the way, has to do with what you do with your time. And he tells this little story the Lord does of a covetous man, really good farmer, made a lot of money from his crops. The guy's doing really well. 
He has big ambitions. He begins to imagine what he's going to do with this excess crop. And it says in Luke 12, verse 18, and he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns, build larger ones, and then I will store, he's just going to store, all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So this is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I don't think I have to explain very deeply what's behind that story. The guy was building up an empire thinking, I got forever to use all this stuff and to enjoy it. And God's like, tonight you're dying. Hello. What are you doing with your stuff? What are you doing with your time? The man didn't redeem the time. Time is precious, people. Even in this era of greater life expectancy, things happen. Even children, young people, they get sick. They die. We know that in South Florida. You can live lives suddenly, tragically taken away. Stoneman Douglas, what happened coming up now, Valentine's Day time, was a few years ago. You don't get do-overs with time. There's 16 or so waking hours of time every day and you can't bank them. You can't save them. There's no do-overs. You know, the time travel stuff, I always laugh about that in sci-fi movies and zero superhero movies, you know. It's just fiction. You know, people die in those movies, but they don't really die because you can always travel back in time and do it over again, right? No. Real life, that doesn't happen. In fact, in this week's prayer meeting, we had a great meeting, and Pastor George had us look at Psalm 90, which I quoted earlier. And it says there where the years of your life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. It's fascinating. That many hundreds of years ago, the Lord was giving us an average life expectancy in general. That's pretty close to today. And so what he had us do, George did, was we calculated our life expectancy by just this average where we are now, how old we are now, and how much time we've got left. And talk about a splash of cold water. I did the math for me. I've, I've got 20% of my life to go. 80%'s gone. I'm in the, to use the football analogy as I like to, I'm in the fourth quarter of the game. I don't know if I got any timeouts left. So I can say this personally: don't procrastinate. Don't put important things off. Just because you think you've got X amount of days or years to take care of it. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in the future. That spiritual thing I want to work on next year, six months from now. How do you know that? Charles Spurgeon, in one of his devotionals, said, We have no other time in which to live. The past is gone. The future has not arrived. We shall never have any time but time present. By the way, I should say this. There's nothing wrong in planning for tomorrow. Right? The Bible speaks to that as being wise. That's all over the book of Proverbs. But God's Word also directs us to be diligent, with our time to pray and do in between the plans, right? So the issue becomes, what are you going to do with your time now? What's going to be your attitude? Somebody who had a real good attitude about that was America's greatest, I think, probably, historic scholar, theologian, the pastor Jonathan Edwards from the 18th century. At age 20, this guy was so sharp, he came up with 70 resolutions in January of the year 1723, and he's, they're still quoted today. 
because they're so practical, they're so relevant. I'll give you three of them to talk about resolutions. He said, number one, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Or secondly, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. And then third, resolved to ask myself at the end of every day, week, month, and year, wherein I could possibly in any respect have done better. Isn't that good for a 20-year-old guy? I'm telling you. So God created time, space, and matter, and time matters, therefore, to the Lord. So it should for us. What matters to him should matter to us. Time is a precious commodity. Here's my second reason, and it's in the text. The time is evil. The time is evil. Ephesians 5.16, right? We should be wise with our time, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The days means the times, the era that we're in. And they are evil. And we're here in this life to make, as the NIV puts it, the most of every opportunity. So what does that mean, though, the times are evil? Okay? The next chapter of this letter even calls it the evil day. Psalm 37 talks about the evil time. Here's a big hint. Okay? When you talk about be careful how you walk, that has the idea from the Greek language of looking around carefully so you don't stumble or trip over something. A stumbling block. You're looking around. You look at your surroundings. That's how you want to be careful. Traps in life. That's a wise walk. Carefully pay attention. So not only what's going on around you, but what you think and say and what you do. Remember the enemy who is evil in these evil times tempts us with the world and the flesh. That's what Paul's getting at here. And Jesus talked about it when he warned the 12 in Matthew 26, 41. He said, watch and pray, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? So we have to be on the lookout. You have to look around what's happening in our world, which is a very morally relativistic, wicked culture that we have before our eyes, for sure. And the way society's going, it's hard to make an argument that the times are not evil. I think they are. It's almost like the world is cruising on the Titanic and everybody's just rearranging the deck chair. Someone, in fact, described the evil time as when there is anarchy in the world, apostasy in the church, and apathy in the believer. It's pretty good. Now, I do want to say this. Things may get better before they get worse, ultimately. And that would be nice for this year, right, for 2022? But maybe not. Eventually, the apostles written, all things have to be as bad as they can be before Lord Jesus comes back. So now, what's a great way to redeem the time, to walk carefully? Here's the way Paul gives us. Be filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 17, going into 18. Therefore, he says, because we are to make the best use of the time, therefore, Bible students, is what? It's another so that or because. It's a purpose clause. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I wish a lot of people on New Year's Eve would have read 
verse 18, do not be drunk. But that said, the opposite of being foolish is what? Wise. So Paul says the way to wisdom is by understanding God's will for your life, which he says here fundamentally happens when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, in case you have forgotten or are unaware of this somehow, the Holy Spirit indwells all believers. When you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. But the Scripture also tells us that he doesn't completely control you, your life, your walk. We're told we have to participate with the Spirit in how greatly or to what degree He controls us or not. Paul says, in fact, you can quench the Spirit or you can grieve the Spirit. Quench the Spirit, right? The Spirit's talking to you and is asking you and influencing you to do something, something good, something godly, and you say, no, 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 that's quenching the Spirit. You're trying to shut Him up. And to grieve the Spirit is the Spirit tells you, don't do that, the little voice in your conscience, right? And you say, I'm going to do it anyway. So you just disobey, you rebel or against, or you grieve the Holy Spirit. So the idea in being filled with the Spirit is yielding or surrendering your will to Him, our lives to Christ. You're giving up control of your walk to the Spirit. So then Galatians talks about you can walk with or keep step with the Spirit. Same idea as being filled with the Spirit. Filled, walking, keeping step, talking about the same thing, theologically speaking. He leads, the Spirit leads us, we follow Him. Okay? And the primary means by which we do that, this is what you want to know, okay, how do I get filled with the Spirit? The primary means are what we call the means of grace. We talk about that a lot in our church. What are they? Primarily three. Actually, you can include the Lord's Supper today as the ordinance as the fourth. But primarily, the ordinary means of grace are the Word, prayer, and the body. The local church body. Fellowship in the body. And you see that the prayer and the body, the fellowship, is manifested, overflows when you're filled with the Spirit. Look at the rest of this passage. Ephesians 18, he says, be filled with the Spirit and then he says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you're filled with the Spirit, that's what you're going to look like. That's what the kind of stuff you're going to be doing with the Word. And you heard there, giving thanks. That's prayer. Prayer is a big priority, obviously, and being filled with the Spirit. And then Paul goes on there fleshing out what that looks like also with submission. We submit to one another in marriage and family life, and then for us today, the workplace. Okay? But you get the key components here. The two means of grace that you saw just now in the text is echoed in the sister letter to Ephesians, which is Colossians. And there in Colossians 3, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as the way to begin the filling of the Spirit. What does it mean to make the Word, let the Word dwell in you richly? A dwell, dwelling, is a home, right? Let the Word make itself at home in you, in your heart. That means it's familiar. It's comfortable to you. It's the intake of the Word. And that's going to lead then to worship, prayer, thanksgiving, things like that. So, as you've heard from our brother in the BRP moment this morning, the time in which you eat Bible 
and pray has a direct impact on your walk. We have to make time for the means of grace, and then if you do, you're going to walk wisely because you're redeeming the time because you are being filled with the Spirit. You get the connection? You know the will of the Lord, you're redeeming the time because you're filled with the Spirit. Now, how does that work even more? Well, I want to spend the rest of our time in particular, redeeming the time of 2022, talking about prayer. Because we talk a lot about eating Bible, like today in church, but we, we don't spend enough time talking about prayer, which is really plain and simple. What's prayer? It's communication in conversation with God. And I'm willing to bet that there are more of you, I was talking about this with Pastor Alex this morning, I think there's more of us that will buy some devotional or we'll do some of the BRP this year, more of us then will do that than we'll crack open the monthly prayer guide that we send out with prayer requests for our church and our communities and our country and missions and ministry partners. And the reason I know that, quite frankly, is because I don't get that much feedback from you guys when we ask for updated prayers. And that's not to single out our church. Most evangelical Christians struggle with their prayer life, personally and corporately, as much or more than anything else, I think, in the Christian life. And I know that because it's hard for me. I'm resolving again this year to pray more because I wasn't satisfied with my prayer life in 2021, and that should have been a year for, like, massive prayer, right? And I know this is an issue because most churches don't even have a regular congregational prayer meeting as we do every week. And those churches that do, they always struggle to have more than a small minority attendance. Even though the Bible teaches us that prayer is the primary tool in which we have a relationship personally with God to defeat the enemy in spiritual warfare, and it's a primary way in which revival comes to the church. So you're thinking about 2022, think about prayer as a priority for the Christian. And I remember, by the way, this was illustrated me so clearly this week when I was thinking about this. I remember we hosted one of the greatest revival preachers and historians of the past century in America. Many and most of you don't remember or know his name. His name is Richard Owen Roberts. And we brought him down here from Chicago for a weekend preaching with some other nearby churches. We called it Behold Your God. We did it about eight years ago. And we talked about revival in America, right? How so many people, Christians especially, want it. But what's our mistake? Revival, revival, if we just elect the right president or the right Congress. Wrong. That's not how revival happens at all. And what Robert said was, Christians are not willing. They're not committed to do what it takes for the Spirit of God to bring revival to a church and a country. And he said it's just two things for the church to do. Prayer and repentance. He told us back then, time is right for revival. If God's people really want it and the Lord sovereignly wants to provide it. And in fact, he gave four signs that precede revivals. I wrote these down. Four signs that come just before revival hits. And revival, by the way, so you know what, it's not hundreds of thousands of people in a stadium or under a tent. That's not revival in and of itself. 
That's a big crowd. Revival is an extraordinary, extraordinary presence and moving of the Holy Spirit among God's people. That's what revival is. And here's the first thing. Terrible seasons of moral and spiritual decline. That comes before revival. Check. <laughs> check. Check. We talked about box checking today. I don't think there's enough boxes. to check. Number two, some form of God's righteous judgment. Judgment comes in different ways from God. If you read Romans 1, 18 to 32, you will note that the United States of America, much of Western civilization, Europe, etc., is a society under God's righteous wrath and judgment against ungodliness and wickedness. He said that would happen, Paul wrote, to societies over the course of history and time. I remember I, in my King James Bible, when I first got saved, I was reading like a, something like the message where, you know, there's barbecues in the Bible and stuff like that. And then I graduated to reading the King James and in the margin of Romans 1, 18 to 32, I have a little note that's scribbled in. It says, this is America. And if you read it, you'll know what I mean. So we're definitely there. Number three, God raises immensely burdened leaders for revival. And I know that the leadership of our church is part of that. In other words, we have to get in God's space to argue for revival. And that is prayer. And then fourthly, an extraordinary action takes place before, just before revival. And that's God's job. And in fact, in our final lunch together with Roberts, I asked them, I said, what is the single biggest takeaway we should have from your weekend with us in preaching? He said, it's simple. I want you to do one thing and one thing only, if nothing else. Hold a regular church-wide prayer meeting. That's it. Nothing else. You're only going to do one thing. Because he said that's what the Bible and the history of revival tells us to do. Corporate prayer and repentance. And his final message to us. Roberts preached the book of Joel, the entire book of Joel. This guy, by the way, preaches like an hour and a half, two hours on a regular basis, and he's in his late 80s. I want you to turn to the book of Joel for a second. Let's see how long it takes you to find the book of Joel. A hint. He's a minor prophet. Not a major one, so it's a small book. It's a few books after Daniel. And I want you to see something. He preached all three chapters of Joel, so it's short, but he was, Joel was a prophet when Israel was under God's judgment. God sent locusts, all sorts of mayhem, attack. They were under siege from three different pagan nations. And it's a prophetic book. It's pointing for the day of the Lord to come the end times. And God told them through the prophet, this is how they should reply. Joel chapter 1, the beginning of verse 13. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in past the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Verse 14. Consecrate or dedicate, set apart a fast. Call a solemn assembly. We've done that before. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Verse 16. Actually, yeah, let's go to chapter 2. Go to chapter 2. I want to show you something else. Verse 12. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. You see, that's the attitude. And return to me is a Hebrew way of saying repent. 
verse 13, and rend, tear your hearts, break your hearts, not your garments, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Did you get that? If we follow the Lord's will, we're filled with the Spirit, we're praying repentance, the Lord will say, okay, I'm going to give you another shot. He will relent. He will consider relenting from disaster. And then finally, verse 16 there. Gather the people. Consecrate what? The congregation, the church. Assemble the elders. And here, hey, great family integrated church passage. Gather the children. Even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride or chamber. I hate to tell you this. He's even telling people about to get married. Pause. Pause if that's what I'm calling you to do. Stop. And do this first, because again, it's all about priority, the priority of prayer, right? That's why, by the way, we began our prayer meetings back on that, after that weekend of 2013. That meeting made as simple and as convenient as it can be, as pastor said this morning on Zoom Thursday night, really is only regularly attended by a relative faithful few. I could only imagine what the Lord could do if most of us were in that meeting. And listen, I know prayer is hard because that's why it's called a spiritual discipline, which is why the New Year is a great time to talk about disciplines. Why not this one? And I get it. Prayer is not always an audible conversation with God. seems like it's one way. You don't get the answers when you want them, how you want them. Even though the Lord Jesus told his disciples, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. However, asking in his name for something means more than just saying Jesus. I want the new Mercedes Jesus. No, that's not what the Lord means. What it means is you're praying, as the Lord's Prayer says, you're praying for his will to be done, not yours, right? May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, you may be thinking, Pastor Bernie, you're giving me a mixed message here. Because you're saying on the one hand, do, 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 don't waste time, redeem it, walk carefully. Now you're saying, be still and know that I'm God. Pray, have a quiet time alone together with God. Which one is it? Both, of course. The both and. I'm talking about the prayer and priority principle. The most important things in your life as a believer should come first, not necessarily to the exclusion of everything else. That means, as Brother Jesus said this morning, I agree with him, begin your day, begin your day preferably with a Bible in front of you and a heart and a mind ready to pray, to greet the Lord, be ready to praise him, confess known sin to him, give thanks then petition him, make supplications, asking things of him, interceding on behalf of others. You're praying for others. And the best time, I think, is the morning, because that's a great way to redeem the time in order to start your day right because you need his help in everything that you do. The Lord Jesus was talking about that, talking about the vine and the branches. He's the vine, you're the branches. And he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He means nothing of any consequence. 
nothing of any kingdom consequence. And then he says, if you abide, that means remain, stay close to me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, little Bible, eating Bible there, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Oh, and there you have the first two means of grace, word and prayer. You can't obey love and please God without being in the word and prayer. It's impossible. You must be in the word and prayer to obey and please God, because that's what Jesus just said. Now, you say, prayer's good. Yeah, I worked that in the car, wherever else, when I can squeeze it in. Here and there, God knows my heart, I'm good, you know. I just don't have the time. Listen, there is enough time in the day, every day, to do everything God wants you to do and to do it well. There is. It's, an, it's actually an insult to tell God you don't have time to pray. You know, Lord, I wish I had time to be with you. I wish I could ask for your help today, but I just don't have the time. If you don't have the time, let me be blunt, if you don't have the time to pray, you're doing something God did not intend for you to do. Jesus is our example. You read in the Gospels how he began his days in the morning, and he worked day and night ministry, signs and wonders, exhaustion. Everything with him began with prayer with the Father early in the morning. And hey, aren't we supposed to be Christ-like? You know about the Lord's Prayer, right? Which he taught the disciples. They wondered how they should pray. And it really should be called the Disciples' Prayer. You want to see the Lord's Prayer for a second, what that looks like? Turn in your Gospels to John chapter 17, if you would. And the heading in your Bible is called a High Priestly Prayer. This is where the Lord is about to be arrested that Thursday night, going into Passion Week. He's about to be arrested. He's about to die on the cross. And um, what does he do? Of all the things that somebody could do at this time, he gets away with the Father. This is really the Lord's prayer. And I'm just going to give you a, a, a few tidbits, John 17, 9. He said, I am praying for them. He's talking to the Father in prayer. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And here the context immediately is he's praying for the 12, his disciples. Then verse 15, though, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. There's intercession. And then verse 20, this is, this is us. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. So he's praying for every Christian that will come and that they'll be unified. Jesus prays for you every day. Should we not pray to him? That's the priority of prayer in action. Martin Luther, the reformer, he knew that. This comment was so interesting. He said, I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. Now, I'm not Luther. And neither are you, I don't know how many of you are going to spend three hours in prayer first thing in the morning. That's a big ask. It's pretty tough. That's just Luther saying, hey, I can't work if I don't pray. I got a busy day today. 
So I got to take more time to pray. It's just we have to get to the point we admit that we need the Lord's help to live, work, and walk wisely. So we pray. We ask him for help, wisdom, discernment every day. That's the prayer priority principle we're talking about. And if, you know, if, if one of you were to come and tell me, as, you, as some of you have in the past, that you're struggling with your walk, your Christian life, right away I would ask you, as I have, how's your prayer life? How's your diet? Meaning, are you eating Bible? Those are the two places I go, first and foremost, every time. I just want to know how you're doing with the means of grace. You coming to church? Well, well, you got three ordinary means of grace. You're not utilizing any one of them. So that's where the wise walk starts. Are you being filled with the Spirit? If you can admit your prayer life is not what it should be, that's a great start because then you know you have to get it right. And so the best time to pray, people, let me say this, the best time to pray is when you don't feel like praying because that's when you need it the most. Don't focus on the feelings that you have. Focus on the faith. What is true? You say, okay, I got to get it right this year. Dive into the word and prayer, those means of grace. But why do I have to come to this prayer meeting and taking out a whopping one hour of my week for that? I mean, isn't prayer a personal thing? Well, we talked already about corporate prayer, how that links to revival. And it makes sense because the third means of grace after the word and personal prayer is the fellowship of the local body, like we're doing now, right? The church. What happens when we get together on Sunday, as we have today, we've been preaching hearing, singing the word, we also have what? We've prayed the word together. If you pray on behalf of church members and attenders and their needs and yours, you're already doing corporate prayer. For some reason, we get the idea that's like restricted for Sunday. Of course not. The church of Jesus Christ has always prayed together. It's what we do. It's redeeming the time. In Acts 2, when they first began to meet, it says they devoted themselves. By the way, they met daily. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Acts 4 and 12. They prayed for courage and boldness. They, as a church, in Jerusalem, they prayed for courage and boldness under persecution for each other. In the next chapter, they laid hands on the missionaries that were going to spread out and spread the gospel. In Acts 16, they prayed for people in a community to be saved. We've done that on Sunday. And then 1 Timothy 2, the church came together and was called to pray for the governing authorities. Don't you think we need to do that? And in chapter 5 of James, they prayed for the healing of the sick. But they prayed as a church, corporately. And on and on and on it goes week after week. So this year, 2022, is just a great time to redeem the time. That means being filled with the Spirit and check it in the priority of prayer. Amen? So as I close, our one scholar, there's another scholar, echoed Edwards in his resolutions. He said this, if you knew you only had 10 years left to live or one year left to live, how would it change your life? We should be living each day as though it were our last. End quote. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the prompting, the leading of the Holy Spirit. May the Spirit do the conviction in the heart that it must do for each and every one of us in these areas. My prayer life is not what I want it to be, not what it should be. I start start first and foremost here. Father, I pray for our church, that the Spirit would move and stir hearts in our church to come together to pray corporately. We'd love to see revival, Lord, wouldn't we? We'd love to see the church rise up and many Americans come to faith in Christ and glorify Christ. But we know we have to do our part. We have to pray and we have to repent in prayer, Lord. Help us to redeem the time, Lord God, as your word says in Psalm 39. Make us know the end and what is the measure of our days. And let us know how fleeting that we are, how fleeting our days are. And to make the most of the opportunities that you give us, Lord. Not spending so much time on fruitless, meaningless things, Father God. And Lord, I pray this is the time of salvation for someone hearing this message today, with us or later. I pray, Lord God, that this is the day that someone will confess Jesus as Lord, believe he has been raised from the dead so they would be saved, Lord, that they would repent, they would turn to you away from their sin and selfishness, and they would turn to you, Lord God. I pray that you'll do that work in the heart and that someone will believe, Lord, trusting in Lord Jesus as the one who by faith in your grace alone, only in Christ alone, can their sins be forgiven, Lord and they would have peace and abundant life and joy now and forevermore. Prepare our hearts now, Lord God, to take the Lord's Supper, this ordinance of the church. Prepare our hearts to commemorate what you've done, to celebrate what you've done and you will be doing when you come back. We pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen, Pastor. Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join Pastor Bernie Diaz for the message.